Kia ora, and welcome to Venn Presents, a series of conversations exploring the depth and richness of the Christian tradition between the host Sam Bloor and members of the Venn team and wider Venn community. Each short series of Venn Presents will expand on some of the themes that have emerged from Venn's work, including our programs, events, books, and our monthly publication, Common Ground. The topics will be wide-ranging, from exploring Christian faith and doctrine to engagement with wider culture, including family, business, the arts, education, music, and sport. Our hope is that through each series of Venn Presents, you'll be able to reimagine how the gospel might look in the communities and callings you find yourself in today. Now let's go ahead and listen to the latest episode. Working Hello and welcome to this first episode in a series that we are doing on a theology of work. My name's Sam Bloor and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague Andrew Shamey. G'day mate, good to have you with us. Good to be here, thanks Sam. <laughs> and my even better friend and colleague <laughs> Julia <Thank> Bloor. <laughs> Hello. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Got a book time in the studio just to have a it little chat, a like little one-on-one. -on -one. It's nice to spend some time with you. Andrew can... Kind of chaperone us as we go. Just feeling a little awkward in the corner. Yeah. Welcome to date night. <laughs> the song we've just come in on is uh, Dolly Parton's "Working Nine to Five. She had to appear somewhere in the series. Might as well put her up right up front. A really well-known song. And I guess using that song and the the title I've given this, which is sort of a theology of work, to make that distinction between work and vocation. Uh, Andrew, you've recently done a piece for uh, our Common Grounds, and in that you wrote this article really on a theology of work, not a vocation, and vocation's broader, right? Yeah, but I mean, vocation is a term that can touch almost, all, or does almost all of life, um, and work is a subset that fits under vocation. Yes. Um, so I didn't want to put any pressure on a 2,000-word article yes. to speak um, to something as broad as vocation, but work is, is something that touches on vocation, but doesn't exhaust vocation. That's right, yeah, yeah. And there are some other aspects that we won't get to in this podcast, right? There's some other aspects of vocation where we won't be talking specifically to, to, to all the aspects of family life that one has to manage or one's own sense of um, inner life and spirituality, which many commentators place as well under that um, umbrella of vocation or your or, or the, the, the volunteering and extra stuff you do uh, in and around your communities. Although... Much of what we'll touch on today, the, the creativity we're hoping to bring to that, of course, applies. But you do sort of have to put a bit of a, a bit of limitation around this. And paid work or its equivalents, if you're a stay-home parent or um, that sort of thing, I mean, it, it occupies a, a big part of a big part of life. And so, um, you know, one of the things I sort of wanted to start off by saying is that we're not the experts in this area, but we've found we haven't been able to avoid it. Yeah, that's right. I mean. Part of our work at Ben is Christian formation um, to help Christians live well and wisely in the world. Um, and so work is going to be a big part of that because just if the sort of brute number of hours in a day, people spend a big chunk of that at work. Um, a lot of people's uh, meaning and purpose in life is, is connected in some way to work. Yeah. And so I think um, we, you have to talk about work and you have to talk about how to understand work theologically if we are to, to live well as Christians in the world. Jules, this has come up for you as well. You've spoken on it at 
one of our events recently. Mm. It's come up in a podcast that you did. Yes, yeah, yeah. Grace and I talked about it briefly um, in one of our podcasts. But I think I, I get, I was just saying to Andrew before that talking about this could be like a little side hobby of mine because I just, I think I find so much life and encouragement in, in learning more about it um, because my experience hasn't been that I grew up and had a good understanding of um, of the work that I was doing and how it, how it was affected by my faith or integrated with my faith. Now, I won't presume that people listening are aware of the, the kind of resources that we've put out there already. So the article that I'm referring to that Andrew has written uh, within the latest edition of Common Ground, if you jump on our website, ben.org.nz, uh, you'll be able to look for that. Um, if you just type in Andrew's name, I think Andrew Shamey or, or vocation, that'll pop up or work. Um, and Jules, you were talking about your Neither Mary Nor Martha podcast that yes. you've done with Grace Bucknell. Yes, which is available anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. Yeah, and look, for me, it crops up every year. We actually, the third module of our fellowship program, all the fellows go out on placement. And on Wednesdays, we come back and we actually have a discussion every Wednesday for eight weeks uh, around this, around the the importance of uh, our our paid and unpaid work. And there may be seasons we go through of, of being underemployed or even unemployed. There are various tensions and alienations that we can feel in that sort of space. We'll, we'll touch on those. And actually, the next podcast will focus more fully on the effects uh, of the of the fall on our work, uh, but it's really cropped up for us too. So we've we've sort of got all of these things that are going on in the background. We're trying to weave these together in this first episode, which will will really focus in uh, on the on the origins of work and, and and what that sort of means. And so forgive us if you hear us sort of shuffling some of our papers as we go through um, the things that we've <laughs> we've done and written along the way. We're going to be uh, trying to do that, referring to quotes that we've accessed along the way and each other's uh, material. Um, along the way. If you work 40 hours a week from the age of 20 to 65, you'll have worked just under 90,000 hours uh, mm. in, that, in that time. A lot of people are working more than 40 hours a week. Yeah. <laughs> Parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For a start. So yeah, it's big in terms of the actual sheer number of hours we work, and it's also big because it seems pretty connected to everything, and that came up in one of the quotes that you had at the start of your article, Andrew. Yeah, I quoted Yusuf Pieper, uh, who he says this, that certain things can be adequately discussed only if at the same time we speak of the whole of the world and of life. And Pieper talks about uh, death and love as such topics. To speak well about those, you've got to talk about the whole of existence. And one of the points I wanted to make in that article in Common Ground is it's true of work as well. It, it does actually touch on all of life. And so it is a big topic with there's some things to say about it. Yes. I guess that makes some of the silence of the church on this or how underspoken <laughs> about it is in church all the more ironic. And increasingly, I, I'm starting talks on this topic with some research that Barna did looking at millennials, so 18 people who are now 18 to 35, or they were a year and a half ago when the research came out, and they looked at so what were some features of the churches that they attended that helped them be resilient disciples later in life. And there were five that they came up with, and I won't be able to remember all of them off the top of my head, but one of them was, this actually speaks to my Monday to Saturday. This actually has got some vocational or some work implications. And of those five, the vocational aspect was the lowest. 
So even amongst those who had stayed in church, who were resilient disciples, they said, even our church, I think it was between sort of 50 and 60% were touching on these or had given me any help in this space. So that's a bit alarming. Yeah, it's interesting, eh, when it is such a big part of life that we're just not really talking about it in church. I remember my, my first like big job out of university, so my first full-time job was working as a TV presenter on a children's TV show. So you can send your letters in to us and we'll look forward to hearing from you. Uh, oh, yeah. But right now, let's go check out what they've got to say on the word. Wicked. <laughs> I had not, like, I definitely felt really called to being there and there were some um, quite cool experiences that I had in order to actually get that job that made me feel like God had, had really led me in that direction and opened up the doors and everything. But I didn't really have any framework for understanding why it was valuable. And all I really could put together was that um, it was putting me in the, uh, the public eye and so then I was getting invited to speak at youth camps and and churches and stuff and so then I could kind of do the good Christian work of telling people about Jesus so it was sort of like there was this separation but almost like a, a separation between the the cultural mandate and the Great Commission and the and I was just sort of sticking with the Great Commission so it was good that I had that job because I could tell my co-host or my co-workers about Jesus and you know invite them along to church and that was kind of the value that I saw in it at that point which is actually a bit sad for me now thinking about it because it was a great job and it was it was good and righteous and good Christian work in and of itself you know yeah I think there's it's not just Christians as well I think in the wider culture we've got the way we think about work is problematic you've, you've got a real desire for a find a work-life balance yes and that seems to suggest what makes up the good of life has to be, you know, the work is excluded from work, you know, and it's almost like you've got to relegate work to just something to be tolerated. Right. Uh, oh, to, I mean, to go back to our songs for a minute, yeah. it's really hard to find any songs that are positive, you know. Yeah. It's like everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend. You know, yeah. working nine to five. Yeah. Um, it's a tough time, you know. You've got to make a living. You've got to yeah. make a living. It's, yeah. it's all. It's been a hard day's night. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard. It's all about. Yeah. I can't wait to just another manic yeah. Monday. You know, you name the song. Yeah. It's about waiting till what's on the other side yeah. of work when my work is done. And I think that there's also the sort of sense of work. Work is. Expanding into more and more areas of life, so there's a real, you know, everyone's got their side hustle. Um, right. There's a sense of total work. So even our hobbies, we've got to now try to make money from, which is yeah. reflecting some real economic realities. But I think it means the question of the meaning of purpose work is problematic for for many people today. Yes. In, in culture. Yes. Now, some of those pains that we are naming or frustrations, the alienations, they're, they're the result of the fall, and we're going to get to a lot of that in the next episode. But just to return to this idea that work is really big, there's a, a sense in which it's uh, we, we do a lot of our, um, our, our awake hours are going to be spent in work. It's also big in terms of just the sheer range of work that's available to do out there. It's just it's kind of crazy. We're only going to be able to touch on a fraction of it. 
maybe one final question before we get into the uh, some of what you covered in the article, Andrew, some of what you've spoken on recently, uh, Jules, particularly as we, we, we set the scene for what will come up in later episodes. Um, worst job you've ever had? If I put that to you, just to add a bit of colour. Anything you can think of? Uh, I, I once worked nights as a, a cook for KFC. No. Oh, we said yeah. worst job, not dream job. Come on, <laughs> then. <that's... laughs> the term cook is a bit of a stretch. <laughs> essentially, you're plunging, you're plunging chicken into hot oil. Um, wow. Yeah. The smell is still to with me. Still, yeah. yeah. I imagine if you drive past a KFC, it's got a powerful nostalgia yeah. to the smell. Yeah. yeah. So that was probably probably the worst. Yeah. Well, Sam was saying earlier that I I'm terrible at this because I have I I had some really cool experiences with jobs. So I got into like like little small parts or movies and stuff when I was a teenager. And so my my part time yeah. job Jules, as a you teenager. Just, you but do you know what I've game. remembered? As I had this part-time job over summer, well, it was actually like full, you know, like 40 hours a week over summer one year, um, working in a rock shop, not the rock shop, but literally a shop <laughs> that's, <laughs> that sold rocks. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, so I like to get my rocks from the, <laughs> from the side of the road. Yeah. But. <laughs> And they were sort of oh, sculptures, okay. I, oh, okay. you know, like, yeah. but literally like, no one came in. No one was interested in buying that lady's rocks. So anyway, oh. that was pretty boring. That was probably the worst job. Yeah, okay. Um, I've probably got worst job, worst job physical versus worst job mental. I'd probably go, go two directions. I mean, I've picked almost every fruit and vegetable in Northland throughout my kind of school and uni holidays. I think kiwi fruit's probably the worst. The vines are just low enough that you're just you're bending hunched over and bending over bit. backwards yeah. the whole time with a big thing on. So to anyone out there who's picked kiwi fruit, you've you've got my eternal uh, kind of respect. Um, worst emotionally was actually doing some tele- telemarketing and so, so I was trying to sell over the phone and um, I just found I was just hopeless at getting the knockbacks and you get a lot of knockbacks and we, I was actually phoning about something pretty cool it was the Westpac rescue helicopter I was just trying to get people to, to donate to that and even then you get sort yeah, of 20 no. knockbacks for every one person who says they'll give $10 and after one day I was, I was done Every year when I come to do this with the fellows, I basically start by saying one thing we've said already, work's big. And then the second thing, work is good. And Andrew, you sort of started there and, and told us why and really unpacked the, the goodness of work. And I love the way you did that. You started, uh, you took us, you reminded us we need to go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and find out what, what, what's going on here. You started with, let us make. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, a key verse we look at when we talk about human work or vocations, 126, let us make uh, human beings in our image. Um, but we rush through that verse yes, and sort of get to, well, what are we meant to do? Um, but I think a place to start is with that, let us make, because it's not the first time in Genesis we hear words like that. Ten times in Genesis um, before verse 26, God is making stuff, you know, mm. um, let there be, and there was. Uh, and I think what we need to understand is there's there's a whole world that precedes our arrival. There's a whole cosmos full of meaning and purpose that exists prior to our own plans and, and purposes. Um, 
And to, so to think about work and the meaning and purpose of work, we, we do have to step right back and say, well, what's God doing in general through creation? What's his meaning? What's the meaning and purpose of this whole created order yes. um, within which we find our, uh, our part? So I think that, that, and when we look into that, there's good things to say about that. Yeah. I'm going to read you out one of your one of your paragraphs, if you don't mind. It might be a bit embarrassing to have your own stuff read out to you. But, uh. That's a pleasure, Sam. <laughs> Jules, I'll do the same to you later. So um, two things to pick up on here. First, it was God's rich, dynamic inner life of love and goodness as Father, Son, and Spirit that motivated creation. And God's desire was to share this love and goodness with others. Secondly, and intimately related, God created the cosmos to manifest him, to give him glory. This is our world's true end, and each creature is called to contribute to it according to their capacities and powers. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. We could drop the mic if it wasn't sitting on a table here. Um, yeah, and I mean, in the end, you are moving to what each creature is going to do, and we're going to get to that yeah. in a moment. But you're sort of starting. This is emanating out of just who God is, and, and the whole thing is to give glory to Him. Yeah, I think we should try be excited, himself. excited about that. That our work. Um, right from the start, there's meaning and purpose as part of something way bigger. So even our sort of nine to five struggles, and often it is hard to get your head up and sort of think about, you know, you, you just focus on trying to get your jobs done before the end of the day. But actually, there's an incredible world we're part of that God has real purposes for that is uh, centered in His love and goodness. Mm-hmm that we participate in through our work. And we'll mm. talk about how we do that. But I think that's a, that's a big whole existence mm. in Joseph Pieper's phrase that we need to talk about when we talk about work to really understand it. And I, I find that exciting. Totally. A phrase that you use there is to, you know, he created the cosmos to manifest him, to, to give him glory. Mm. Another word we use for that, although it's got narrower meanings, but but is worship. And so, Jules, to maybe throw over to you um, and some of what you've covered in a session recently, this came up in the summer offering uh, thing that we did, but you've spoken on it in, in other settings as well. Uh, there's a passage in Revelation where we, we sort of see four creatures who are representing the creation, creation of the created, and, uh, created yeah. order, uh, worshipping. The idea, I guess, of all of those animals around the throne worshipping is sort of is telling us that that ideally all of creation would be centred around the throne um, in worship of Jesus, the one who sits on the throne. And I, the problem with using the word worship is that we have certain ideas of what the word worship means. And I know um, there's a little bit of panic that rises in me when I think, you know, is this what's, what eternity is going to look like? If we're created to worship, then are we just going to be in like an endless sung worship service? Um, I've definitely had people tell me that before. I don't know if you have. But I've had <laughs> services where it's felt like an endless <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, I probably enjoy those more than yeah, you do. But think, but even so. all of eternity is a little bit like, ah, what that, that kind of makes me panic a little bit. I feel a little disappointed by that idea. And so I guess like actually looking at the, me- the meaning of or, or thinking a little more about what it means to worship, there's a great quote from Richard Middleton. Um, he says, mountains worship God simply by being mountains, covered with lush vegetation or with steep crags or glaciers. Stars worship God by being stars. 
burning with nuclear energy according to their sizes and their life cycles. So if mountains worship God by being mountains and stars worship God by being stars, how do humans worship God? By being, being human? human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Which yeah, then that's leads right. to more that's questions right. it, around it begs what the that question, looks like. how, do, how does one be human? And so, Andrew, maybe to go on to where you went next with this, you sort of from, from the let us make, which creates this marvellous backdrop of just, you know, the everything that preceded us and, and gives a backdrop against which we're, we're existing. Uh, we come to let us make man. And I, I've used let us make man rather than let us make humankind. It's, it's good to use the, the, the more gender inclusive, but there's something about using let us make man that allows for a bit of a wordplay in the Hebrew that you pick up on that tells us something almost straight away of what's going on. Yeah, I think this is not Adam, a single human male that we meet at the end of Genesis 2. This is, it is humankind, but the, the man, Adam, there's a bit of a wordplay in the Hebrew um, coming Adama, um, which is earth. And right. so right from the beginning, one of the things we're learning about human beings is what we're made of. That seems right. to be something that the text is trying to draw our attention to. From the earth comes the earth one. Um, Genesis 2 makes the same point. You know, Then the Lord God formed the human, Adam, from the dust of the ground, Adama. So there's, right. there's something being said about who we are here that's focusing on our sort of material bodies yes as central to who we are um, that i think is important when we come to think about work yeah because if there's a tendency to kind of split off you know the, the spiritual from the the physical or you know our our spirit from our body or etc etc that's going to have devastating consequences on how we understand our work mm. yeah the 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 picture we get is we're, we're a unity of body and soul. Or you can say body and spirit. But um, and but there has been a tendency, actually, to focus on the soul or the, or the spirit as the central element of what it means to be human. So there's been a tendency within the Christian church. But that's really, to if you do that, that will distort both your understanding of human nature uh, and therefore your understanding of work. And that's where I think we get some of these hierarchies that sometimes turn up mm. about more spiritual jobs right. versus yes. less spiritual jobs. Yes. Um, you were saying just earlier when we were chatting before, you know, hitting the record button, just even around your t your folks, people yeah. could easily make that distinction. Yeah. As I said, my dad works for a mission organization. My mum's a nurse. There are ways and, and times in Christian history where my dad's work, which is some sense is viewed as more spiritual is viewed as more important and my, my parents didn't think like that mm. um, but that's certainly a way and, and my mum's a nurse she deals with the human body and human and human pe persons that seems lower down the pecking order on some sort of structure if the soul is what it means to be human yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. although the, the nursing role is still the nursing role is still like it, with within sort of that same thinking is still sort of good and, and holy and Christian work because yeah. she's serving people and taking care of people. Service. So Jesus healed. Uh, yes. There's, there's, so there's places those, we yes. go that, that bump it up the hierarchy. But then you've got someone like 
you know, someone who's working in, um, I don't know, as an accountant in a large organisation and just sits in their cubicle and, and doesn't have heaps of human contact, yeah. but she's just sort of working numbers all day, um, their work, I would imagine, in that thinking is way down the hierarchy. Yeah. So your Sam's dad is a lawyer. Your dad is a photographer. Yes. Um, they're, they're lower down the pecking order um, than, than, say, my dad is a in, in missions yes. and my mum is sort of a healing ministry. Yes. That's the sort of thinking it can lead to. Yes. Again, I'm going to quote quote you to yourself, mate, because this was a great this was a great line um, out of the article that you wrote. Um, you know, work and take care of the garden. God tells Adam and Eve in Genesis two. You know, um, there was something garden that was quite sort of agrarian, and I always remember thinking couldn't really connect with it even back in Sunday school days. But you say to us, he might say, go to your desk, send your emails, earn your salary, so that you may order your groceries online and occasionally get takeaway from that Indian place everyone's raving about. So there's yeah. something good about doing the work that's putting food on your table at home and is actually making a contribution in that way. Yeah, I think a starting point for thinking about work is that part of God's good creation are our bodies and our bodies' needs for food, for shelter, uh, for warmth, and work that goes to procure those things and that we need for living has dignity and meaning. To work hard to feed your family um, is a good thing to do. It's not a distraction from more spiritual work. Yeah. That's important and valued work. And I think that, that's, that's a starting point for understanding the meaning and dignity of human work. That's a really good observation around the importance of taking care of bodily needs. Mm. And I imagine there's some real positives to take from that when you're a stay-home parent for... Yes periods of time yes and, and that's all you're doing you're fixing another marmite sandwich or peanut butter sandwich or you know changing another nappy wiping a bum michael just hold it will you so i can get the diaper off oh look at something so small create so much of something so disgusting oh, like it's all quite physical stuff and i you yeah, I definitely had grand ideas of those first years of um, of being a mum and staying with my kids at home and, um, you know, and, and actually doing quite spiritual things, like teaching them so much about the Christian faith, or which obviously I still have attempted to do, but the majority of the time, especially in those early years when you're at home with them all the time, it is just looking after their physical needs, and it's repetitive. So actually having a framework like that to be falling back on is really encouraging. So Andrew, you, you then take things to, to the next step on, which is to say, yes, it's great that we're against the backdrop of making and that humankind, there's a physicality to it, um, all of those things. But there's also a specificity to it as well, yeah. where actually there is a role and a task to do and you say here at one stage, human beings have been gifted with particular capacities and powers that are unique to us among our fellow creatures. Capacities for knowing, for language, for making, for wisdom, for reason, for imagination and for relationships. These capacities make sense of the particular role our work is given to play in God's cosmic purposes. Mm. And so you then go the further step to say, let us make mankind in our image. Yeah, I think, I think that 
all creatures um, is a sort of a, almost a great chorus of creatures we have a common purpose um, to bring God glory to display his goodness um, and then each, each creature has its own potentials and capacities through which they do that mm. and those things you just listed are some of the human capacities and potentials through which we play our particular role in this bigger picture mm. and that's really what's been picked up actually in this this make uh, man humankind in our image where we're getting more specific about what our role is actually in this it's this bigger picture i mean it's a phrase that is just bandied around yeah, the image of god <laughs> the yeah it is bandied around like i really didn't understand what being made in the image of god or being an image bearer actually meant but i remember a girl in my drama class who was obviously a christian um and we were doing this exercises where we were all kind of tr being trees like it was a warm-up ex exercise and you know the teachers like <laughs> the teachers like reason number 642 <laughs> why andrew didn't go to drama, drama. <laughs> yeah we're going to do some improv for you. It's completely unscripted theater, created on the spot, never to be seen again, never seen before. I am a tree. Ding. I'd rather cook, cook chicken at KFC than pretend to be a tree. At least you got paid for that yeah. too. Um, but it was, you know, she was all like, imagine your roots going down into the ground and... You know, you've, you've got strong branches and the breeze comes through and you're, you're, you know, anyway, you're imagining you're a tree. And after sort of five minutes of this, there was this girl who was like, I'm done with this. I am not a tree. I'm a human being. I'm made in the image of God. <laughs> <laughs> That's and I was awesome. just like, whoa, okay. I might just sidestep over here a little bit and sort of separate myself off from that little Christian group over there. <laughs> But the other thing that I had was a when I had um, someone I was having a lot of difficulty with a boss at work, and um, she was treating um, many people pretty badly. And the I I sort of didn't know where to go to get advice. I didn't know what to do. Went to this person at church in the end who said to me, "You've just got to um, you've got to like you can't let her speak to you like that. You've got to let her know you were made in the image of God." I'm like, yeah, like a. Like, that's terrible advice. <laughs> Can you imagine me going and having a conversation with my boss and being like, excuse me, you know the way you've been treating me? I'm actually made in the image of God. And anyway, my point is, I had no idea what that even meant, except that it was supposed to be communicating to me some sort of value that I had. Yeah, I think, I think this tends to be where we go with it, is we have some sense of this makes us special, Yes. It's about God's special concern or care for us. Yes. And and then how that actually makes a difference. And for our annoying colleagues, you said at one point, you know, you sort of like, you, you find yourself in that part-time job, but yeah, and there's, there's people around, you know, you've kind of got to treat them okay because they're made in God's image. Yeah, they're sort of in a monologue <laughs> where you restrain the rage by just saying, no, they too, they too are made in the image of God. Yeah, not just you. Yeah. And so you, you pick up on an aspect of this that, that has, um, there's a specificity to it, but there's also, it's, it's, it's large, it's expansive. And there are, there are lots of things we could, we could touch on, and they, they have been various commentators have mentioned various things, our, our physical form, our capacity for reason, our relationality, our creativity, our morality. I quite like the way at one stage uh, N.T. Wright says, oh, look, no doubt all of those things are, tr are true. There are aspects of that, that that are probably true. But then he actually goes specifically... Uh, into 
into a, a role that we're called into. Yeah, in the, in the ancient world, the, the phrase image of God, actually, it meant something to, to those who, who would have heard it. And there were really two things that it, it referred to. One is the idol. Um, they'd make an image of the God that would become the idol that would be placed in the temple. Hmm. Um, but also the king was viewed as the image of God, really the only image of God was the king. And the king imaged the God, this, in the sort of surrounding cultures um, around Israel, through the king's rule. So the, the God rules over the nation, mm. and the king images that God by ruling as a representative of the God. Right. And so that's really what is being picked up um, in that language of image of God. Now, all humans have certain capacities that enable them to do that, but actually there's a sort of role there that's at play in the phrase. And this is picking up... You, we mentioned it already, this Genesis 126. Joel, do you want to read out just yeah, those few just verses? Say. So yeah. 26 through to 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Many of you listening to this will, will know those verses well. Where that ends on, on 28, a couple of the words there, uh, they've got a potential for us to, to read them pretty negatively. R words like rule and, and subdue. We've seen those used and done in, in some really bad ways. Yeah, I think it's quite natural for us to hear those those terms uh, and have in mind the climate crisis, um, the human exploitation and degradation of the earth. Um, but that's not what's at play here. Um, that's not what... Um, is in mind, uh, you know, it might be help, more helpful to, to talk about stewarding. Yes. Um, there's no sense of an exploitative rule because we're ruling as God's representatives. Mm. Yes. And God has created to express his goodness and love yeah. to creation. Any sort of rule that is degrading creation or just using creation for our own ends is not rule that represents God's heart for his creation. Good yes. and love. Yeah. It's so it, it, there's a boundary around what sort of rule yes. we have. It's not it, a total it, it, freedom to do whatever we want. It's rule that assumes a right relatedness. Right? So, I mean, yeah. again, that another um, kind of Old Testament word, like a shalom, where there's, there's right relatedness of us to each other, us to God, us to the world around us. Uh, unfortunately, Genesis 3 is going to come and we're going to see what that introduces next week. But, but this rulership and this even the subduing it's in a in a right way it's so that that thing can be more fully itself that's right one point you write this uh, andrew this vocation goes beyond creation care so it goes beyond just looking after the environment and provides the context within which to understand the meaning and purpose of our daily working lives a purpose beyond simply procuring resources for living consider your colleagues consider your office consider your cab or your classroom your workshop or your workstation. Consider your clients or patients or students to do good here to these people 
in this place is meaningful because it's a way for you to participate in God's great unfolding purpose for his creation. I mean, that's just a great description, mate, of just the, the, the range that's open to us. This has all been included. Yeah, and, and I think we're meant to think of those contexts as gifts to us, um, that little part of creation um, that God gives to us to care for, to steward, to seek to display his goodness and love to. So your colleagues and your workplace um, are, are part of the context in which you need to live out your, your calling as a human to represent God's love, his goodness um, in that place to those people. Mm. So again, work has given real meaning and dignity in that um, because it can be a means by which you do, which you do that. Yeah, we've quoted Richard Middleton a couple of times, but there's another great quote in his book, The Liberating Image, where I think the section or the chapter might be called, called God's Primal Generosity. Mm-hmm. And he says that some of the rhetorical features of Genesis point us to a God who does not hoard divine creative power with some desperate need to control, but rather to a God who is generous with power, sharing it with creatures that they might make their own contribution to the harmony and beauty of the world. Mm. It's quite neat. He doesn't want to do it all himself, Mm. which I think is what I'd want to do if I was God, especially when I knew I'd do a better job than some of those I'm about to entrust to do it. There's a real open-handedness and generosity. I I think that that language of harmony and and beauty is helpful as well because if you think about your workplace, often the things that are missing in a dysfunctional workplace or just average workplaces harmony, mm. yeah. a sense of harmony between people, a sense of harmony between people's desires and what the work is about and beauty, you know office buildings have a reputation for being yeah. ugly, um, yeah. all these things, so yeah. actually to even think just taking two words we could choose yes. that name some of God's intent for his creation, to say actually well what if you thought about when you turn up at work hey, how am I contributing to the harmony of this place and how I relate to others, how I relate to the, the creation that's around there, the physical environment. How am I adding beauty um, to a place? Mm. Actually bringing in uh, uh, some element of actually making the place more beautiful mm. um, or relating more beautifully to people. I think we can think actually quite creatively about just the, how we go about our work even before we talk about what our work, you know, what we're trying to do with our work, yes, um, we can make a massive difference as um, God's image bearers by bringing more beauty or justice or uh, peace mm. or harmony into a situation. And I think that's our calling, actually. Sometimes things become even more glorious when you set them against the backdrop of what was going on uh, in that area at the time. And so... In the ancient Near East, the religions that were pretty much part and parcel of that that area of the world, a very different take on humankind and a very different take on, on what on what work was meant to be. And so I'm just going to read a, a short passage here and get maybe you guys to, to comment on this. This is from the Enuma Elish, talking about creating uh, mankind because actually the gods started to grizzle about the work they had to do. Mm. And one of them hatches a plan. I will take blood and fashion bone. 
I will establish a savage, man shall be his name. Truly savage man I will create. He shall be charged with the service of the gods, that they might be at ease. The ways of the gods I will artfully alter. Mm. So here we have the <laughs> creations of, of humans actually Preceding that, there's a couple of paragraphs. The humankind are made from, the heavens and the earth are made from the split carcass of one of the gods. They're going to take blood from another god and, and fashion these these kind of humans. And they're going to do the work that we don't want to do. Mm. Again, stark contrast to humans as the pinnacle of this kind of creation story. And I, I know you were saying earlier that there's a whole lot going on before we get here, but there is a sense of a building crescendo because no one else has given this image-bearing task. None of the rest of created order is we are. And again, I just think against the backdrop of, you know, no, no, you guys get to do what we don't want to do. This is God generously sharing. Mm. There's a reason Rich Middleton calls this book the liberating image. Right. Um, so the, the insight Genesis has is actually a profoundly liberating one. Um, the gods in the ancient world created humans to be their slaves. Um, the king imaged the god, therefore it makes sense that humans should serve the king and be his slaves. Mm. Genesis comes along and says, all human beings image God. Yes. And he's created them to work with him, in particular ways, in his rule of creation. Very different from sort of being, just pick up the dirty work that the, the gods couldn't be bothered doing. Mm. Um, it's, it's a fundamentally different vision, actually, at least a fundamentally different vision of work. One of the things that we'll begin to acknowledge, particularly as we move into the next episode, is that a lot of work now does probably feel like some of what was being sentenced uh, to people, and particularly if you don't have much choice. And, and choice in work is a, it's a real privilege to be able to have any choice in the work that you do. Many people don't. Um, but some of those imbalances, some of those injustices, some of that feeling like you're slavishly working away at something is a result of some of those things that get introduced and we'll, yeah, we'll come to some of those. Can I just take it back a step and go back to um, some of the, like you were talking about coming into your, your workspace and sort of being image bearers within that space and creating beauty and bringing harmony or um, fighting for justice and within the workplace I I my personality just like totally wants all of the dots so that I can draw the line to get from Genesis and the scriptures that we read earlier through to that um, and what I have loved learning about is that as you as you go on from from that from the rule over the fish in the sea um, and that that cultural mandate is that it's sort of fleshed out or extended as you continue reading in Genesis um, when we see the first building of a city by someone who isn't a king which that would usually obviously be the king's job um, and then also um, musical instruments and metal tools and so the the picture that we start to get is that this calling is actually developmental mm -hmm. and so that sort of starts, for me, that starts to broaden it away from just the agricultural calling to being to being bigger um, and 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 more creative. So we're we're called to start actually um, on top of the agricultural start, building towns and cities and communities and um, and then moving on to more than that, where you're you're growing families, you're creating works of art, you're creating children's TV shows. 
um, you're writing poems and novels and screenplays and building schools and um, and you're running businesses and like we're building a you know a, a bigger picture of society to sort of encompass all the all that we do within our societies as being um, part of what it means to be human. Am I making sense in saying that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I sort of said at the start to frame work, we've got to step right back and say, what's God's purpose of his creation? To display his goodness and love, but also for, yeah, to manifest himself, give himself glory. And one of the things we see is God has made the world in such a way that actually it, it does display his wisdom. It does display his, his creativity, his imagination, his thoughtfulness, his goodness. And one of our roles in work is to, is almost to bring out its potential. Mm, to, to, yeah, to further develop it or to, yeah. Yeah, to, and because when we, um, one of the examples I gave in the article I wrote for Common Ground was say copper, you know, this metal um, that has these uh, amazing capacities. It's got high electrical and thermal conductivity. It's resistant to corrosion. It's got antimicrobial properties. So when jewelers or sculptors mould this into beautiful designs or when uh, architects use it for a dome or for plumbing or guttering, uh, when use it for bench tops, uh, when electricians and designers use it um, to conduct electricity or t telecommunications or to make electric vehicles more efficient, yes. bringing out this incredible capacity of this metal yes. that actually displays God's amazing wisdom, mm. yes. his, his goodness in making the world such that it has metals like copper and you could almost pick anything in nature that has these capacities. So in doing that work, there's actually glory given to God who created that and was actually thoughtful about what capacities to put into his world. Um, and they're displaying their own capacities as human beings to imagine, yes, to, to sort of create, to plan, to work together. And so actually the capacity of human beings is um, shown to be great in a way that brings glory to God as well. So it's actually that work in that context is um, really fulfilling God's purposes for all of creation. Humans have this role of bringing together the praises of creation in such a way and bringing it back to God. And one of the ways we do that is our own creative work. Um, we also do it in praise when we actually name those things and actually say, God, you are wise. God, you are good. God, you are great. But actually our own actions in the world through our work does that as well. Um, a bunch of years ago now, Sam and I went to um, the Chocolate Museum in Brussels. Was it in Brussels? It was, yeah. It was basically just a house. It was like it kind of in the middle of a street and it just had like, you know, bits of paper stuck to the wall telling mm. the story of chocolate. But I can remember being like, uh, like chocolate wasn't just, a, hasn't just always been a thing, right? Like the, the cacao bean was found and it's actually very bitter and a whole lot, bunch of processing has, has, um, has changed it and developed it and it was used as a drink first and then there's a sort of this process that it's been on but I can remember thinking I wonder what God was thinking he must have just been sitting mm. there going oh you guys have finally found the cacao bean 
and and like just watching the process and being like you have no idea how amazing it's going to be what you can you can take the secret raw ingredients of my creation and further develop it and create something like chocolate <laughs> a, li- a literal easter egg you know. yeah, hidden. yeah. Hidden. i was gonna say yeah yeah, yeah. he's yeah. left these easter eggs out there yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's so good yeah that's great guys look I, I think we probably do need to wrap it up but i want to do that by just actually having a couple of quotes andrew i'm gonna uh quote quote you again i no, you won't mind. <laughs> One last time. I, I do it to myself all the time, so go for it. And then um, Jules from a talk you did recently, a great One quote um, as well yep. from the drama of scripture. But um, Andrew, you're picking up on that mending, fixing, all sorts of things that we do. Work is not just toil. Work can be more than simply feeding our bodies, though such work has dignity. Your work, your nine-to-five life of spreadsheets and emails, of joists and concrete mixes, Waiting rooms and whiteboards is a means by which you can participate in God's cosmic purposes. Through and in your work, you are called to communicate God's love and goodness to other creatures and to bring creation back to God by enabling it to fulfill its potential and therefore witness to the exuberant goodness, power, wisdom, life, beauty, and love of its creator. Work, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> I um, love this quote from the drama of scripture. God himself is revealed or imaged in his creation precisely as we are busy within the creation, developing its hidden potentials in agriculture, art, music, commerce, politics, scholarship, family life, church, leisure, and so on in ways that honor God. As we take God's creative commands of let there be, and develop the potentials in them, we continue to spread the fragrance of his presence throughout the world he has made. I love that. We spread the fragrance of his presence. Yeah, that is awesome. And what we are going to finish on is another song. And we came in with Dolly Parton. We're going to go out on Bon Jovi. Why wouldn't you? Tommy used to work on the docks. You know, Gina works the diner all day. And as we're going to see as things deteriorate, we're going to, we're going to need prayer, guys. We're going to need to be living on our prayer. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Andrew, Jules, it's been awesome. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for being here on Day Night. She says we got a